rather than talking about when we're trying to describe an effective team, rather than talking about all of the things that they're doing, talk about the results that they're producing. And so that's the way I like to think about things. Welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations. This special season is a team development masterclass. And my co-host is Peter Axelson, who is a 35-year team development expert whose methodology we're showcasing. This masterclass will help team leaders and members gain insights, tactics, and tools for building effective teams. And at the end of every episode, we offer an exercise that you can use with your own team. To access all these and more, download the podcast companion directly from the show notes or from my website at www.winniethesilva.com by clicking on the podcast tab. In today's episode, we're providing an overview of the team development methodology we're showcasing this season, which will frame and give context for all the other episodes that will follow. First, we'll talk about measuring effectiveness. In other words, what does a quote-unquote good team even look like? And how do we measure the results of an effective team? Next, we'll introduce at a high level what teams can do to start moving in that direction. We'll provide a quick snapshot of each of the building blocks today, and then in all the following episodes this season, we will go into much more depth on each of those building blocks. So before we dig into all of this awesome content, let's take a minute to talk a bit about you, Peter, and this work. I know you love this type of work. This is the work you most enjoyed. Could you say more about why? What is it about working with teams that's so satisfying for you? Sure, I'd love to. So I guess simply put, I like messy. What, <laughs> what I mean by that is I like doing kinds of work where you can't see very, very far down the development path. And so it's a little bit like peeling an onion together where you're kind of figuring out what's in this layer and what's in this layer and what's in this layer and say, ah, now we understand what's going on and have some ideas about what to do here. So it's that real-time discovery and real-time problem solving. I just love that. So my favorite situation is a team that's really struggling. The language I like to use is their buses in the ditch, and they're really serious about uh, becoming really good. So I find it really rewarding to help them move from stuck to competent. So they're functioning really well. They have great skills and tools to maintain that into the future without any help from me, where they say, Peter, we don't need you anymore. We've got this, mm -hmm. right? So that for me is a pretty rewarding. So I like watching their growth as individuals in the team. I think even better when you start to see the benefits in the organization more broadly, because these folks that I'm working with are coaching, they're role models, they're using tools more broadly. You can start to see the ripple effects across other teams and other people. So that's the long lasting reward. Yeah, I think you're bringing up an important point about the impact to the entire organization. So you and I would both agree that any work that we do, we want to see the impact. And it's not just necessarily about the people we're working with directly. It's hopefully has a longer impact. I do the work for similar reasons. And I guess I have to say the other thing that I enjoy, too, is we really tackle both the relationship side of things on teams, but also the process side of teams and some very tangible technical things that they can do as a team. So we, we do both, which is what I like. So I'd like to ask about like kind of at the beginning, how did you develop this methodology? What was your process for getting here? Were you just building yourself and it was crystallizing for you the work that you were already doing with clients? Tell us a little bit about that. So when I started doing this work a long time ago, frankly, I didn't have much of a toolkit. So um, my first job in this field, I, it was about two years long. I had some really great mentors early in my career who taught me some useful things. 
One of the things that helped me probably maybe among the most in terms of training was a bunch of courses that I took at NTL or what was uh, used to be known as National Training Labs. It's an organization that trains organizational development practitioners. And there, I, you know, I took coaching and or took some courses in coaching, team development, process consultation, that kind of thing. And those literally turned out to be tools that I used every week for the rest of my career. So that was really helpful. And then I did a lot of experimenting. I tried a lot of new things. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned from those things, made good use of what I learned there. I'm a big fan of experiential learning and experimentation. And mm -hmm. I think that that trial and error and learning and incorporating those learnings was a really a big piece in how I developed both my methodology and my tools. I like providing really simple tools for clients to use. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy. So I've had some great instances where I've been working in an organization and I go back literally 20 years later and see the tools that I introduced still in use. So really that for me, I think is a great reward when things are that sticky and people continue to find use for these things year after year. Yeah, we were talking earlier off recording that one of the biggest compliments a client can give us is that whatever it is that we worked with them on or taught them or a tool or a technique we gave them, they just incorporate it into their everyday use and they forget that we actually introduced it to them, right? right. So that's always fun. And one thing I want to say is NTL, we're going to include things like that in the show notes so you'll get a chance to see that. But yeah, that's one of the things I really love about this methodology and the way that I've used it with clients because it resonates so much with clients. And I think part of the reason it does is because you developed it the way you just described, which is experience and taking expertise and tools and ways of thinking from different variety of sources. But really, it ends up crystallizing what it is that you've done over the years. And I think that makes it really effective. So let's start with your definition of what makes an effective team. How do you know if a team is effective? What are the key attributes of an effective team? I think you can approach that question in at least one of two different ways, right? So one way would be to describe the attributes that lead to effectiveness. So the activities, behaviors, processes, these would be observable things that the team is doing that lead to an effective state. The tricky thing about this is there are lots of them. I don't know if there are 20 or 30 or 50 or 100, but it's a really, really long list of attributes. Yeah. And this is an important distinction. Let's talk about the difference between attributes and results, which I think you're going to talk about later. When I think of attributes, I think of feedback, communication. What are some other ones that you think of? Well, some of the things that show up a lot are whether or not the team is having effective meetings. That's mm -hmm. a, a big one for lots of teams. Decision-making, how decisions are being made, prioritization of their work and objectives, that kind of thing. So those are some of the most obvious. I think these are good examples. You know, we just named five or six mm -hmm. and you could keep going and you might end up with a big number. Mm -hmm. So I prefer a little bit of a different approach rather than talking about when we're trying to describe an effective team, rather than talking about all of the things that they're doing, talk about the results that they're producing. And so that's the way I like to think about things. And when you think about what's on that list, you know, when you're trying to define effectiveness and we ask people what effectiveness should look like, you're going to get a lot of different answers, right? And there are some that show up pretty often and are pretty obvious, like, mm -hmm. you know, we get a good product out the door, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But there are some that are really less obvious. And I think the irony here is the ones that seem to be least obvious to many people, many leaders, I think are some of the most important ones. So we'll talk some more about that. Yeah. So let's get into the specific metrics that we use in this methodology. 
Good. So, well, my perspective is there are five things in terms of results that we want to be measuring, right? Mm -hmm. So let me just kind of walk through these. So these are results. So first is the degree to which the team is producing high quality outcomes, whatever it is for that team. So it could be a train load of cement. It could be a decision. It could be an IT implementation. It could be a project. So whatever the team is responsible for delivering, that output is high quality, right? That's key. Second is efficiency. The work that's being done is uh, making good use of time, material resources, talent, that kind of thing. Um, The third one is satisfaction. And this is oftentimes misunderstood. When I'm talking about satisfaction, I'm talking about the degree to which the members of the team feel satisfied with the climate and the dynamics in the team. So they like working with the team. It's enjoyable. They want to come back tomorrow as opposed to never wanting to see these people again and run away screaming. So it's not satisfaction with the outcome, but satisfaction with that climate. So three is individual learning. So I'm going to just make a really important point here. Mm-hmm. So my belief is that teams don't improve their effectiveness unless individuals change their behavior along the way. Oftentimes in teams, you know, there's this view of, I'll wait for those guys to get their act together, but that really is a broad statement. Everybody needs to think about changing their behavior. So the fourth one for me here is individual learning, right? So that their self-awareness and collaboration skills are getting better and better over time. Yeah. And there's one more, learning, collective intelligence of the team. So Mm -hmm. in this case, what we're talking about is the team is getting smarter and smarter about its strengths and weaknesses and what it needs to be doing to stay effective over time. So those are my five. So those are the five. So just to kind of quickly review those. So quality, the high quality outcomes of the team. Two, how efficient is the team in creating those outcomes? Three, how satisfied are team members with the climate and dynamics of the team? And then the two learnings at the end. So one, individual learning. How are they learning over time as individuals and in their collaboration? And then two, how is the collective team and the collective intelligence of the team moving forward? Right? Did I get those five? Yeah. So to me, this is really like a balanced scorecard for a team. And really any team could use to measure their effectiveness if they're working with someone like us or on their own. But it really is kind of like a scorecard. Yeah, I agree. That's a good way to think about it. So one of the things that I'll do in my first meeting with clients is I'll briefly explain these five metrics to them. And then I'll ask them in this team, which ones of these get most attention or least attention? How do you think most of those teams respond? Well, my experience has been that teams pay attention to the first one for sure, right? And usually the second, because that's what's most obvious and they're usually measuring anyway. How good is the team doing their work and how fast are they getting it done? But in my experience, teams are paying very little attention, if not at all, to the satisfaction and learning aspects. Is that your experience as well? Yep, exactly. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about this, people will say to me, well, we have to get our deliverables taken care of and we have to be efficient. I say, absolutely, you know, agree. That's what you get paid to do, right? And in the short term, you can get away with focusing just on those things or primarily on those things. Long term, if you don't also pay attention to the satisfaction and learning dimensions, then over the long term, Mm -hmm. I mean months and years. Short term, I mean weeks and months the ability of that team to remain effective over time is really going to get compromised. I think that's the part that people don't necessarily um, appreciate. Yeah, because in the end, it's critical that everyone has the same destination in mind. I know this has happened to both of us. Could you talk a little bit about what happens when team members don't, quote unquote, kind of buy into that scorecard? And this happens a lot. So yeah, we're the outsider. We're supposed to be experts. We show up with our experience and our wisdom and our toolkit. And we say, these are the five things that we think are important targets for you. And so one of the things that's important here is 
they need to buy those things, right? Yeah. And either they can accept them in the beginning, which some teams will do, or maybe not, right? And in that case, we want to be able to understand their concerns, understand the different perspectives that are there and get those out early so that we really understand where the group is beginning this journey. Because we're going to be working with them in a way that's reflective of our belief that those are five things that are important. Mm -hmm. And if they've got a different view, we need to figure that out sooner rather than later. If people are skeptical, I would rather they say to me, I don't buy that, all right? Prove it, show me. I'll take show me over mm -hmm. blind faith any day. I think that that give and take between our perspective and their perspective is really important. Yeah, I have to say, Peter, that this is one of the most important things that I've learned from you over the years. And not just even with team development work, but other work that we do with leaders, but is to really slow down and to sincerely invite clients to challenge the methodology, to challenge the assumptions behind it, to challenge even me and how I approach and think about things. And this really leads to healthy discussions, as you say, and the opportunity to potentially open up perspectives and beliefs that are hidden or not that could be getting in the way of them being effective. And I think it also kind of mirrors we're showing them in the way in which we're interacting with the team that it's okay to be honest with each other. It's okay yep. to disagree and to do this right at the beginning with kind of us as quote unquote the experts, I think shows them that not only can we do this, but you guys can do this together. So anyway, it's a little bit more than what we we're talking about here, but I just think that this is something that I really valued from learning from you. Yeah, that's really key. When I'm working with clients or I'm traveling around a lot and someone stops me in an elevator and asks me about the work that I do, I tell them, I see my job is to help clients become more skilled at having a difficult conversations about really important things, mm -hmm. right? So to your point, mm -hmm. I think that anything we can do to encourage candor, role model candor, teach them some tools for increasing candor, it's going to help all along the way here. Totally agree. Totally agree. Do you have another example on metrics and pushback and some of the things that you've seen clients do? Yeah. So I guess the one of the five, the one that I get the most pushback on is individual learning. Mm -hmm. So this idea, you know, what I said a few minutes ago is that teams don't become more effective unless individuals change their behavior. And mm -hmm. so it begs the question, what does it take to drive behavior in individuals? And I think there are lots of norms in organizations that encourage or discourage certain relationships or ways of interacting with your boss. But we don't have those same rules of the road for our relationships with our peers. And so let's say that you and I are on the same team. The idea that you and I have a responsibility to help each other become more self-aware, to help us build our respective collaboration skills. Some people will say, that's baloney. That's my mm -hmm. boss's job. If Winnie's not very good at this, that's for Winnie and her boss to sort out. It's not my responsibility. Yeah. So one thing I'd like to put a point on, I believe that those really strong peer relationships in a team are key to the overall effectiveness of the team and helping each other learn and grow, I think is a really important piece of this. And we're going to come back to that point later on and dig a little bit deeper there. But for now, just to kind of summarize what we've talked about as it relates to metrics. So we've talked about those five metrics, right? Quality, efficiency, satisfaction, learning on the individual level and learning at the team level. We've talked about it being a balanced scorecard. We've talked about the importance of buy-in on the destination and the buy-in of these metrics and why they're important. And we've also touched on why it's important to challenge and have conversations about what you really think about the scorecard or anything else here right at the beginning. 
And what we'd like to do, and actually we're going to do this for every episode, is we're going to offer an exercise that you, the listeners, can do with your team today or with your clients today. And a link on my website for each of these team development exercises will be available to you in the show notes so you can access those really easily. So, Peter, could you describe the team development exercise that we're going to suggest to folks as it relates to the metrics? Yep, sure. So thanks. So this is a version of the kinds of things that we do with teams when we've been engaged to do that work. So it's essentially a diagnostic conversation or an assessment of sorts to try to understand where are we today. So this is kind of what this looks like. The objective is pretty simple. We're not in the problem solving mode yet, and we're not trying to get everybody to agree on the state of things. What we're trying to do here is very simple. Understand each other's views on the current state of the team period. That's our beginning point. Mm -hmm. So this works best if it's done in two meetings. So if you're the Mm -hmm. leader, you pull your team together. Um, You talk a little bit about why you want to do this. What's your rationale? What's the case you made for having this conversation, investing some time? So explain the objective, explain the five metrics. And again, you'll find this in the notes from Winnie. So explain the five metrics. And then what we want them to do is to go away and take a day or whatever it is, and come back with two things, a rating on each of the metrics for the team, right? One to five or whatever system you want to use. And then second, this is important, um, the reasoning or the rationale behind that number. So set it up, give people some time to collect their thoughts, get the team back together. Mm-hmm. And then you go through each metric. So on the quality of our output, each person gives their number, the rating, and then talks about why. And you okay. go through that and then you go through each of the five metrics that way, one at a time. So a couple thoughts on this, a couple pro tips. One mm-hmm. is, as a leader, you want to make sure that you want to do everything you can do to encourage candor, right? I think that's key. Tell people, don't change your answers based on what the person before you said, <laughs> which surprisingly is pretty common. And then I think lastly is we don't want this to be anonymous. So some leaders will want to collect those data in an anonymous way and then play it back. So people aren't able to attach names with the numbers and the reasons, but I think there's a big missed opportunity there. So you don't want this to be anonymous. Okay, this is really helpful. So pro tips, honesty, don't change your answer, and anonymous. Let's talk a little bit about why it shouldn't be anonymous and the benefits of it not being anonymous. Okay. This goes back to the the things we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago about the importance of candor and about the importance of transparency. So in this kind of a situation, I actually think that an anonymous process has the potential to undermine trust rather than build it. And trust is one of the things that we're trying to develop here. So I firmly believe that nothing is more important than candor. And if teams can put issues on the table honestly and respectfully and a forward-looking way figure out what to do about them, there's no problem that they can't solve. But the problems happen when people aren't honest, aren't transparent, and there's things that are not said. So I think a key capability Mm -hmm. here is to be able to talk with each other honestly Mm-hmm. about anything. And that includes the effectiveness of our team. Yeah, it really involves noticing hmm, where we aligned, where are we not aligned? What patterns do we see? What's not being said yet? What do we do next? And sometimes I think this mini team assessment really exposes some of the problem areas that might have been festering without a name or areas that could become problems in the future if not addressed. Yeah, I really love this assessment. I think it can easily be done with a few hours, very accessible for people to try with their team. Yeah. Let me just make one comment on what you just said. I think the other thing that I think is important is oftentimes these diagnostic conversations will also identify key strengths, right? Yeah, good point. We are really good at this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think it's just as important to understand strengths as it is 
gaps. I don't think from our perspective, we're oftentimes showing up when there are problems. And so we bring that lens, but understanding the full range of where we've got some real strengths, where there's some opportunities is key. Yeah. yeah, because of course, then if we identify those strengths, many times, I'm sure you do this all the time, it's a good opportunity where we can maybe even leverage those strengths against the challenges that they're facing as well. That's right. Yep. Yeah. It can be resources. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Any other things that you'd add or any other suggestions that you're thinking of as we talk about this assessment? Yeah. One of the other things you could add to this, think about it as a bolt-on module. You may recall um, a previous episode where we talked about feedback. I think maybe Winnie can give you the details. Yeah. So Peter and I did a previous episode called Tell Me What You Really Think with Peter Axelson. And I believe it was the second to last episode of season one where Peter really did a great job of talking about why and how senior leaders especially, but any leader really, should be actively and proactively asking for feedback from those people around him. So go ahead. So I think if you want to bolt on another piece to this, which can be really powerful, in addition to talking about the effectiveness of the team, one of the things that can really help here is for the leader also to be asking for feedback as a part of this, right? So I think we all know feedback doesn't flow up in organizations very well. People are oftentimes timid. But I think that it's really important, even in the context of working with a whole team like this, that the leader understands how their leadership is being perceived. So two simple questions can serve really well. One is a leader might say to the team, please tell me the two things that I'm doing as a leader of this team that you appreciate most and why. Mm -hmm. And please tell me two things that I'm doing as a leader of this team that you would like me to change and why. Right? Even if you just get those, those data can be incredibly helpful. So if you're interested in uh, dipping your toes in the water, you know, this diagnostic conversation with the team and then a leader asking for feedback are two really great steps towards helping your team raise its game. So we just gave you a two for one exercise. <laughs> and by the way, you'll notice throughout this entire season how much Peter and I love and emphasize feedback. And we're just getting started, people, <laughs> yeah. on the topic so of feedback. Let me just add kind of one more thing about yeah. this conversation. So if you're going to do this, this team assessment, the diagnostic conversation, yeah. don't make the mistake of believing that a team that's never had these kinds of conversations oh, yeah. is going to get to 100% candor right out of the gate, right? So that's right. I, you can think about this as if we can get to 70% candor, we'll call that good, right? Yeah. So we have a, a kind of conversation maybe we've never had before. We gain some insights. We gain some confidence that the team can have conversations like this. And then the next one's going to be even better. So yes. don't set your sights too high and end up being disappointed. That's a yeah. really good point. And I think that what we're talking about here is we are talking about steps. And that's really the work that Peter and I do when we're working with teams. It's like one thing leads to another thing and you really are building up to something. There's no silver bullet. There's not one thing and that's magically going to create the perfect team. So these are the things that you can try out. And like Peter says, you're moving towards the goal and it will take a couple of things potentially to get there. Yep. I guess the last thing I would say on this is I think some people make the mistake of thinking that these diagnostic conversations are kind of preliminary and it's not that important and we're not getting mm -hmm. to the fixes yet, which is where the value is. But being able to have these kinds of conversations is a really important foundational step in the development of any team. And it's not something that should ha happen once when you try this on your own or bring somebody in to help you. But conversations like this should be a regular, a few times a year, kind of how are we doing? That's right. That's right. Yep. And again, we're going to touch on that more throughout this season.
Excellent. Let's frame up the next piece we want to talk about today, providing a 10,000 foot view of each of the eight building blocks, which are core to Peter's team development methodology. As we said earlier, this model is a culmination of 35 years of learning and experience working with teams on one slide. And you can download this slide and other materials from the show notes or from my website at www.winniedasilva.com. So these eight building blocks represent some of the key things a team must attend to in order to achieve the metrics we just described a few minutes ago. So Peter, when people look at this slide, are they going to say, yeah, of course, these make sense. But are these the only components of a team that enable a team to be effective? Yeah, so that's a good question. The short answer is no. So people may well look at the eight building blocks on this slide and say, well, what about X or what about Y or what about Z? And so to be clear, I'm not suggesting that this is all teams need to attend to in order to be effective. That's not the case. So there will certainly be other unique needs that show up from team to team. What I am saying here is that across the hundreds of teams with which I've worked, I've found these eight to be a common set or a core, if you will. So I've really learned two things. When there are problems with team effectiveness in existing teams, they're very often related to these eight areas, right? These show up again and again as presenting problems. And then the second thing is in both new and existing teams, we see significant benefits and big jumps in team effectiveness when they Mm -hmm. choose to do work in one or more of these eight areas. So think about this as a core set. Other things are going to show up. So work with development work with teams. It's not a linear process. There's no silver bullet. There's no standard recipe. And when you start, you can only see so far down the path. What we find is, you know, even after we've done a robust assessment, we always learn new things once we start the work. And so we adapt our plan accordingly. Every team is different. Every engagement is different. But there's some really clear patterns that show up. And I think that these patterns are reflected in in the eight building blocks. Yeah. So what you're saying here is that there are other elements that make an effective team, but in your experience, these are critical eight. Yeah, that's really helpful. So what we're going to do next is touch on each of these building blocks very lightly. Then we will have an entire episode devoted to each of these building blocks, what it looks like, why it's important, and how you might use it with your own teams. And we'll tell some stories. So Peter, would you give us kind of a short tour of each of these eight building blocks? Sure. I'm going to give you a snapshot of each one. So this might be helpful to have the building block slide in front of you if you'd like to follow along there. So building block one is at the bottom. And this is a little bit different from the other seven in that this building block deals with subsets of the team as opposed to the full team. So this one is about building a foundation of sound interpersonal relationships between all of the many pairs of team members. So you see the building block is across the entire bottom like a foundation in a building. I use the word foundation very deliberately here because we believe that so much of what makes a team effective is dependent on the quality of those many one-to-one relationships. It's worth noting, I think here, that when clients come to us asking for help, a significant percentage of those situations, we're dealing with one or more problematic interpersonal relationships in the team. So Mm -hmm. foundation, got to have sound interpersonal relationships. That's key. Yep. So building blocks two, three, and four are very Mm -hmm. much related to one another. Two is about team's objectives. Three is about the team's work. And four is about the team's work processes. Mm -hmm. So a little bit more on each of these. So building block two is about ensuring that we've got really clear, shared objectives for the team. So Mm -hmm. what the team is collectively responsible for delivering. We meet lots of teams that have objectives for individuals. And they might have objectives for the business unit, whatever form that takes. 
But interestingly, what we find is that objectives at the team level are either often missing, they're not, haven't been articulated at all, or they're not clear. So that's building block two, objectives. Building block three, I think this is unique to our methodology. And this is about defining what we call the joint work. Mm -hmm. And we define this as the high value, highly interdependent work that the team must do together in order to meet its objectives. So I think what's interesting here is I've introduced this concept of joint work to hundreds of teams over the past 30 years. And without exception, literally every single team has concluded that they weren't doing the right work together. And they've Mm -hmm. had to redefine to some degree the work that they do. So in some cases, it's a small adjustment. In some cases, it's a massive adjustment. So I think that's a really big deal. So this is Mm -hmm. the what of working together. So two is about objectives. Three is about the shared work. Four is about the how of working together. It's about Mm -hmm. process discipline. It's about building and then using a set of really lean processes for doing the work, Mm -hmm. the different forms for communicating, for planning, for prioritizing, for deciding. And so we'll talk more in that episode about how we see process as being a key differentiator in terms of team effectiveness and really think it's a key factor in sorting great teams from all of the rest. So, Peter, I think these first four building blocks that you've just described are some of the biggest gaps I see in the teams that I work with just over and over again. Anyway, I just want to point that out. Yep, good. So the last four here are a little bit different in nature. Mm -hmm. So five is about mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So this is about a specific mindset related to sharing responsibility for the effectiveness of the team. So the way we think about this is that that responsibility should not be the responsibility of a leader alone. For in some teams, the team wants to ask the HR person to take responsibility for their effectiveness. Mm -hmm which is usually a train wreck. So if you want to have an effective team, our belief is that every member must accept some ownership for how well the team is functioning, period. Mm -hmm. So five is about mindset, shared responsibility. Six has two parts. The first part is about articulating an aspirational culture for the team, what we want to be some number of months or years in the future. So it's a little bit of a stretch there, hence the word aspirational. And then the second part of this is about making a set of agreements or norms to help us live into that aspirational culture. So culture and norms, that's six. Building block seven is about building skills to support high-quality conversations, which we Mm -hmm. believe have three characteristics, and we'll talk about those in that episode. The thinking here is it's simply not enough just to bring a team together to work, that unless those conversations are high-quality, then the team is likely to be wasting its time and outcomes are unlikely to be very good. So this is a really, really fundamental skill set for teams, high quality Mm -hmm. conversations. And then building block eight, we think about this as a kind of secret sauce. We think about this as the team's continuous improvement mechanisms, the processes that are needed to stay effective over time. So we think that there are three that are really key and uh, we'll dig into those with you. So thank you, Peter, for that tour. This is really what season four will cover. Episode three, which is up next, we will talk about the foundation of sound interpersonal relationships. Episode four, clarity and alignment on the team's objectives. Episode five, the share, the well-defined joint work. Episode six, robust work processes. Episode seven will be the shared responsibility mindset that Peter just described. Episode eight will be the aspirational culture with supporting norms. And episode nine will cover high-quality conversations. Episode 10 will cover continued improvement mechanisms. And then episode 11 will do kind of a capstone and wrap up for the season. 
So next up, episode three, where we talk about the foundation of Peter's team development methodology, sound interpersonal relationships, because building teams at its core is about relationships. I think that there's a belief that work relationships will develop naturally over time and get to a place of good enough uh, without needing explicit investment. Now, to be fair, sometimes that happens, but more often than not, it doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. You know, when friction does develop, I think leaders don't hold people's feet to the fire. They don't push them to fix things. These things linger, in which case the cost to the team can really be huge. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations. If you're ready to take your leadership to the next level or empower your teams for success, I'm here to help. Reach out to me directly or check out my website to learn more about my work in coaching executives, developing critical leadership skills, and working with clients to build effective teams. Your feedback matters. Please consider leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and sharing this episode with a friend who might benefit. Thanks again for listening.